All right. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Praise God. Shout out to uh, all the teachers, students, workers, homeschool parents. Uh, what an exciting time, as Stephanie said, to jump back into a new school year uh, filled with all sorts of uh, possibilities uh, for some of us, challenges, but we know challenges that God can overcome and, and walk us through. And I just want to echo what Thaddeus said and uh, express uh, how, ch- how much we appreciate you. Uh, we know that the work you're doing uh, is not done in vain, and, and, and your commitment to invest in the next generation um, is, is, a, is a priceless commitment. I mean, I remember and I look back at the teachers that helped exude grace and mercy to me when I was a student, and even uh, the, the campus workers and my campus minister and all of you guys who represented the gospel uh, was transformative and life-changing to me. And so uh, my prayer is that your school year would be filled with so much grace. I pray that it would be marked by so much joy as you begin to labor and work and make much of Jesus in your classroom, on the campus, wherever God has called you. So we truly, truly appreciate you. And uh, like Thaddeus said, to express our appreciation, uh, we've put together a gift bag for you. Uh, it's in the lobby. You can pick it up after church. And that's just our way of saying thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing uh, to serve the next generation. Uh, all right, so uh, if this is your first time joining us or if you're joining us uh, online, my name is Pastor Alberto, and I have the honor and privilege of leading this church uh, alongside our team of elders with um, our chief elder being Jesus and Thaddeus, who is just up here. And uh, it is an honor and privilege to uh, lead this church and, and be, with, be with you guys. And so if you're wondering what Sunday is all about, uh, we gather to worship. Uh, We don't gather on Sunday to check off uh, our religious activity box. Rather, when we come, we come to worship God. And the reason why we do that uh, is because there's something powerful that happens when we meet God. When we experience God, God begins to change us and mold us and transform us. And we don't just worship in song. Uh, We worship in prayer, as we just did. We worship in the word, and we worship in community. Uh, As the author of Hebrews says, when we come into the house of God, we bring a sacrifice of praise. Uh, And I want to thank you guys for making the sacrifice to be here. Uh, Sacrificing your time, your convenience, sacrificing uh, time on your schedule to worship the Lord. And when we come and bring a sacrifice to the Lord, we have this promise that he'll meet us that he'll transform us, and we're here to encounter the living God. And so now we're going to do that in the Word. This is my, my favorite time. Uh, I'm a little biased because I get to preach the Word, and it's a lot of fun. And so we're going to encounter and worship the Lord through the Word. And so uh, this week we find ourselves in week two of our series, From Death to Life. And this series we're spending uh, some time in Ephesians chapter 2 and discussing this idea how when you become a Christian, you're automatically transferred from this life of death to this uh, new life in Christ. And this new life in Christ has profound implications. It doesn't just change our status and our relationship with God. Rather, it changes how we live in the world and interact with one another. And we're going to be unpacking those ideas. So this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Uh, It is our tradition to stand to honor the reading of God's word. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you may look at the screen, or you can type Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 uh, on your device. If you're watching us online, I invite you, stand with me, and let's honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. 
not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, in person. Uh, thank you for the, the privilege that it is to, to be in community with your people. Uh, Lord, let us not take this moment for granted as we know that there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world like Afghanistan uh, who are suffering for this gathering and are giving their lives for this name, the name of Jesus. So Lord, on this Sunday, I pray that you would come and comfort those that are afflicted in Afghanistan. I pray that you would come and, and bring peace and life and rescue to those who are being hunted for the faith. Lord, I pray that your hand would also be over those uh, that are suffering in Haiti as, as they experience storm and earthquake and all sorts of afflictions. Lord, I pray that your peace would come over them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you this morning. I pray that you would give us 2020 vision to focus on your word. Uh, to lean into your word and that it would take root on our, in our heart as it falls on good soil. Lord, help us to be a people that doesn't just gather to read the word, but help us be a people that gathers and does the word and lives it out in every area of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we, we looked at verses 1 through 7. Uh, and if you weren't with us, we discussed this idea that, that, that you and I are not what we are supposed to be. And, and, and we all feel this in, in some part of our life, uh, where we feel like there's this disconnect from the life that we're living, and then there's this craving for something greater. And we realize that, that, that something is wrong, that there's something within us that, that needs to be fixed, uh, and we're always trying to find solutions to either elevate our life or, or fix this problem that is happening internally that sometimes we can't put a name on. And the scriptures is so kind when God says the problem that you're dealing with is not that you don't have enough money. It is not that your job is the worst, and and that might be the case. It's not that you don't know what you want to major in, and so you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. The scriptures make it very clear that the problem that every single person in this room deals with is sin. And sin has caused this separation from God. And so instead of entering into relationship with God, the scripture says that we're separated from God, alienated. And God is the giver of life. And so if we're separated from God, the person who gives life, that means that we're living in death. And death isn't just this reality that awaits all of us. Death is sort of um, this way of living that's marked by unsatisfaction. Uh, that, that, that's marked by so much brokenness, uh, that's marked by affliction and this sort of low quality of living that, that God hasn't created us for. And so God in his great kindness, in his great mercy, looks down on us and because of his heart towards us, he enters into our story and he rescues us from sin. He rescues us from death by taking to the cross our sins, dying in our place and establishing this new relationship with him. So once we were alienated, now we can come into relationship with God and experience life and life abundantly. And so when this happens, we are brought back into relationship with God and we can uh, experience the life that God has created for us. 
So last week we discussed that you and I are not what we are supposed to be. This week we're going to answer the question, well then how do we become all that God has called us to be? If God has called us and he has a purpose over our life, how do we walk in that? How do we walk in all that God has called us to be and how do we become all that he wants us to be? And if we're honest, is that even possible? Is it even possible to become all that God has called us to be? Is it even possible uh, to become and live out all the purposes that God has for us? And Paul has a lot to say about this. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and, 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 a result, uh, uh, and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we're going to look at three words, uh, three specific words that we have to understand before we answer this question any further. Before we answer this question, how do we become all that God wants us to be? We have to understand these three words that appear in this uh, verse. Number one, saved or salvation, number two, faith, and lastly, grace. So let's talk about this word saved. Uh, what does it mean to be saved? What does salvation mean in the scriptures? Well, uh, Paul makes it clear, the author of this text, that we're saved from the power of sin and the wrath of God. Uh, last week we discussed how there's three enemies in our life, three prison guards that are simultaneously working uh, uh, to uh, keep us from having life in Christ. If you remember, uh, the first one is that we're enslaved to the enemy, that there's this enemy of God, the devil, and it is full-time job to kill and destroy and taint all of God's creation and keep us in bondage from experiencing life in Christ. The second enemy that we see is the world. And, and what this means is, is, that, is that the world has a script for you and is telling you that how you should live and what type of person you should be. It's not necessarily that creation is inherently evil. Rather, the world that we live in provides scripts for your life and is informing you how to live. So, hey, here's this script. Uh, if you follow this script, you'll become a good mom or a good dad and your, your kids will turn out all right. Here's another script. If you follow this script and become this type of character or this type of actor, you'll experience uh, so much wealth and satisfaction. Here's another script. It says that, hey, in order for you to be truly happy, you have to do what you want to do and enter into uh, what, uh, and say no to you know, whatever this world has to offer that is infringing on your preferences. And this world that we live in is constantly handing out scripts telling us what we should be, how we should live. If you want to make the most money, major in this. If you want to have the highest quality of life, uh, become this type of person. And we're constantly being told by the world the type of person we should become. Because we believe that if we become that person, we'll experience all that our heart desires. Acceptance, love, identity, a true form of belonging. And the third thing that we're enslaved to is ourselves. Because we begin to believe this lie that, oh, if I live for myself and if I do what is right in my own eyes and I forge a future for myself and become the authority in my life, then I can be truly happy. Then I can truly come alive. But the scripture says that when we become the God of our own lives, we're actually further enslaved to the power of sin at work in our life. 
And the reason why is because true freedom doesn't come from becoming a better version of yourself. True freedom isn't found in living sort of the the, the checkbox how-to ways of the world. True freedom isn't found from removing yourself uh, from community or or removing yourself uh, from life in the church. Rather, true freedom is found in God. And we see two syllables, two words that Paul inserts that we discussed last week. Do you remember, church? But God, there it is, somebody, somebody said it, I heard it. Uh, but God, two syllables, two words uh, that are this divine interruption, this divine deliverance where we see God taking the initiative to reverse the effects of sin. So we find ourselves enslaved to the world, trying to measure up and become the best version of ourselves. We find ourselves under the influence of the enemy as he begins to lie and twist God's truth. We find ourselves enslaved to ourselves, trying to do whatever we can to forge a future for ourselves. And in the midst of us experiencing all this destruction and all this chaos, God comes into the story and Paul says, but God, but God, you were once dead to sin, but God, now you're made alive in Christ. You once were enslaved to yourself, to the world, and, 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 and to the powers of the enemy, but God came and set you free. You were once lost, looking for life in a thousand different places, in a thousand different spaces, but God has come and found you. You were once an orphan, but God has made you a son and daughter. And this is very important for us to understand because if we don't understand this and get this, that we're saved by God, then we're constantly trying to find life in whatever this world has to offer. And so we'll go from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from hobby to hobby, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction only coming up empty. Why? Because the only thing that can truly satisfy us the only person that can set us free is God himself. And so what we'll see happen in this world is that it's all about achieving. Whether you realize this or not, uh, the world that we live in is all about achieving. It's all about reaching goals. Uh, What do I need to do so I can be accepted? Well, let me achieve this sort of body type and physique. And so we work out endlessly so we can look like this certain type of person that we believe will be accepted. Uh, What do I need to do to find identity? Where where can I I feel like I have a, a, a purpose? And so we'll hop from relationship or career, trying to find a place where we can uh, experience a sense of identity and purpose as we feel we've amassed wealth and accomplishments. We all long to achieve things. We all do this in one way or another. And that's one of the main scripts that we see in this world. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Make something of yourself. Create something. Do something so that you can be accepted. So that you can be, um, so that you can find purpose and come alive. But in the kingdom of God, hear me church. In the kingdom of God, acceptance, identity, and purpose is not achieved. It's received. In the kingdom of God, all of the acceptance that you desperately long for, all of the purpose that you're looking for, the identity, uh, the satisfaction, the life that you long for and you're yearning for is not achieved. It's received. And how is it received? The second word, through faith. 
faith in Jesus. Uh, faith in Jesus means uh, crossing over. Uh, faith in Jesus means crossing over into uh, being in relationship with Him. And crossing over into a relationship with God does not happen through our works. Rather, it happens through our faith in his work. Uh, You see, faith is the avenue to relationship with Christ through union with Christ. And a relationship with Jesus is not achieved through you doing all the right things. Uh, Ten years ago, I was a freshman at the Texas State University, the Harvard of the South, the elite Ivy League of Central (laughs) Texas, the greatest uh, educational institution that ever lived. Uh, If you're watching this and you're from North Carolina, uh, like my wife's family went to ECU, you know, I'm not dissing your school, it's just not as great. Um, Had to give a quick shout out there. Came to Texas State because I thought, that identity, purpose, and life would be found in the college experience. And I've shared this story before, and I, and I, think, I think I'm uh, old enough now where maybe a lot of people don't know this song, I Love College by Asher Roth. Maybe some freshmen are like, what is that song? Uh, I thought that's what college was for. Uh, this sort of uh, lifestyle that was embodied in all sorts of inappropriate relationships, all sorts of um, you know, partying, and, and just finding life in everything but God. And I thought to myself that the more I could indulge and feast on what the college experience had to offer, maybe the appetites of my heart would be filled. And something strange happened. Something I never experienced before. The more I began to feast on what this experience had to offer, the more I began to take in whatever somebody was handing me, I did not find myself more filled. I found myself more empty. And it led me to this place where I found myself in my dorm room, Jackson Hall, room 1010. And I said, Lord, if you're real, um, I want to do something with you. Because all the paths that I'm taking, all of uh, the the, the things that I'm pursuing are not life-giving. And I found myself praying this prayer, Lord, if you're real, let's do something. Because I want to change the campus and I want to change the world. Uh, That same week, I was invited to a a ministry led by co-elder Thaddeus Evan Brown. And uh, it met in San Marcos Hall on the other side of campus at like 7 p.m. at night. I was scared of the dark, but I would walk across the dark parts of campus just to be there and sit in a room with men, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, nothing in common except their commitment to look at this word and say, if this word is real, I want to do it. And it was messy, it was awkward, it was inconvenient, but there was a fire in their heart where they had experienced Jesus, and Jesus was a far better way to live than the way that I was living. And so I started going to everything that um, uh, every nation campus ministry, the college ministry had to offer. Church met on campus, which was super um, convenient. And and I began to find uh, this appetite inside of my heart for acceptance for life, for belonging, to be known, for purpose, for joy. It wasn't being satisfied and feasting what this world had to offer. It was found in Jesus. It was found in Christ. It was found entering into a relationship with him. Why? Because as we said before, there's this God-sized hole in our heart that can only be filled by God himself. And when we come into relationship with Jesus, we come into relationship through faith, not through our works. What do I mean by that? It means that uh, there was a period where I thought I had to undo all the wrongs I did so that God could accept me. 
I thought I had to work my way into relationship with Jesus and climb this moral ladder so that God can accept me. And what set me free was this verse. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What does this mean? It means that no matter how many works you do, you'll never measure up. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to climb this ladder into relationship with God. But God loves you so much so that he descends. That he comes down, that he meets you where you are, calls you to himself, and enters into relationship with you. And church, this is why this is so freeing. God enters into a relationship with you, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. So that you can know that no matter what you do, he'll always love you and he'll always be committed to you. Because you didn't do anything to get into this, he met you where you are. This is good news, that faith brings us into relationship with God, not works. Faith keeps us in a relationship with God, not our own works. And so what this means is that when you come into relationship with God, Paul uses a very beautiful word uh, called union. Uh, It means that we have union with Christ. And so it's this idea that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That, that we are inseparable, that it is this tight-knit relationship where I'm grafted into uh, God's presence. And so this means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to me. When we come into union with Christ, that means that his righteousness is my righteousness. That his power is my power, that his security is your security, that his peace, guess what, is now your peace, that his love is your love, his worth is your worth, his provision is your provision, his suffering is our suffering, his victory is our victory, his death is our death, and his life is our life. It is ours in Christ, in church, it is not achieved, it is received. So that means that, that, that your identity, that your value, that your purpose, that your worth is not dictated on what this world has to offer and what it can give you. It's found in the person of Christ. And it's completely independent of everything that is happening, good or bad, in your life. So you may know that regardless of where you find yourself, in the valley or the mountaintop, uh, incredible experiences with God or feeling abandoned and lost, God is with you and he loves you. And he has not abandoned you. And it's not your works. It's not your goodness that has brought you in. It's his love for you that has drawn you in. This new life, Paul says, is a gift from God. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Third word is grace in the Holman Bible Dictionary, which is an awesome resource. Uh, If you want to Amazon Prime uh, that book, it's great. It says that grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from God undeserved acceptance and love received from God. Why? Because what we truly deserve is to die for the penalty of our sin. We've treasoned against God. We've trespassed against God. God has every right to wipe away the entire world. God has every right to deal with us um, justly uh, by pouring out his wrath. And instead of receiving his wrath, we receive his richness and his mercy and his grace. Uh, And this grace is God's kindness in saving us despite us being the ones that sinned against God. And this grace is a gift because God freely gave his son to die in our place on the cross. 
God freely gave his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that we could cross over from a life of achieving and earning to a life of receiving and being with God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus is a gift God has given you. If you are alive in Christ, it is because he has made you come alive. And this idea is so powerful because there are two spiritual realities that every single person in this room is living in. One, you're either dead in sin, living apart from God, and making sin come alive in all areas of your life. Or two, you're alive in Christ, walking with God and putting sin to death. And and here's the part that should move our hearts to worship God. Paul, in chapter 1, at the beginning of this book, says that God chose you before you ever did anything. Uh, That God chose you before you did anything good and before you did anything terrible. I love this because God took into consideration your best moments and your worst moments. Uh, God took your resume, your spiritual resume and your earthly resume. He played the autobiography of your life and he took into consideration every second, every movement, everything you would ever do. And then he set it aside. And he said, I'm choosing you. I want you. I want you to be in my family. Why? Because he said so. And because he is God. And this should bring so much freedom because there is no burden anymore to prove that you are worthy of God's love. Why? Because God chose you before you would ever be worthy. God chose you when he took into consideration what you would do with your life and all the ways that you would step out of his will. He took that into consideration and said, yeah, but you're mine, and I want you. And he went the distance into entering into our world and rescuing us from ourselves despite our sin, despite how we uh, stepped out against his will. There is no more burden. There is no more uh, effort to prove that we are worthy of God's love. There is no more trying to become the best version of ourselves so we can experience a better life. The scripture says that it is a gift. And like any gift, it is not achieved. It's received. This gift is to be received through faith. And Paul, the author of this uh, New Testament text, he received this gift. We know he received this gift because uh, he wrote a pretty good letter on this gift. But this is what he says in another letter in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul received this gift. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. Do you hear this? Paul was a man who stepped out against God's will, who persecuted his church, who was giving himself over to the destruction and persecution of the early church, wanted nothing to do with the way or followers of Jesus. And his life embodied that. But God's grace met him despite him, drew him into a relationship with him, completely transformed his life. And Paul says, it's not because I was really smart, and he was, It's not because I had a really good thing going for me because he didn't. It was purely the grace of God arriving in his life and transforming him. By the grace of God, we are what we are. Not because of our works, not because of our accomplishments, but because of his goodness and his kindness being poured out unto us 
unconditionally, without condition, independent of who you think you are, what you think you've done. And so what exactly are we? Verse 10 says we are his workmanship. Let's take a closer look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so um, workmanship is, is, is such an interesting word. Uh, we know that, that the, the scriptures weren't given to us in English. Rather, they were translated. Um, and, and so the original language here is Greek. And so uh, the, the Greek word for workmanship is poema, uh, which, means, which is where we get this English word poem. And so the idea here is that in the Greek culture, a poem represents sort of any work of art. Uh, a, a great epic novel, a sculpture, an art piece, a piece of literature, any sort of work of art. And so what Paul is communicating here is that, as F.F. F. Bruce says, we are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. And as another commentary says, the ultimate workmanship of God is a human being who, despite being dead in his transgressions and sins, has been made alive in Christ. We are the workmanship of God. We are God's piece of art. Why? Because he took a person that was dead in sin and made them alive in him. And he doesn't stop there. Uh, He says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you are God's masterpiece. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were handcrafted by God uniquely and specifically for his plans and purposes. There is no one else like you. And no one else in this world can accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. He says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, so the, the word here for created is very unique. It's the same word that we see in Genesis 1 when God created. It means to make or create something which has not existed before. God created everything out of nothing. And Paul is driving this idea home that when God is creating you and molding you and forming you, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table God independently is working in your life with or without you to make you all that he's called you to be. And so this word is exclusively uh, used to refer to God's act of creation. It's the word that, that, uh, that refers to God creating in the beginning. And what are the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And we can learn a lot from those words. One thing that we learn is that God always takes the initiative. In the beginning, God created. God took the initiative in forming and creating the world. God took the initiative in breathing life into Adam and Eve. The second thing we learn is that God gives. God is such a generous God. He gives creation. He gives life. He gives resources for our enjoyment and our life. God is a generous God. And so what God does in the beginning is that he doesn't create as we've heard, human doings. He creates human beings. He doesn't create achievers. He creates receivers. He creates people who are designed to receive his grace. God did not create in the beginning people who would achieve to work uh, to earn his love. He created receivers. People who he would freely lavish with his love and with his grace and with his presence, expecting nothing in return. And this is incredible because what this means for you and I is that true life happens as a result of God creating us and moving toward us, not us climbing the ladder. 
Uh, I've heard one person say uh, that the symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a ladder. It's not about us ascending to God. It's about God descending to us and creating relationship with us through the cross. It's about Jesus taking initiative to meet us where we are and rescuing us from ourselves. What this means is that there's no ladder for you to climb. Rather, there's this cross, this bridge uh, that, that Jesus creates to bridge this gap that you and I experience. True life happens not because we're climbing the ladder to God, but because God is moving toward us. And the cross reminds us that God is a generous God who takes the initiative and who moves towards us. So if you're busying yourself trying to find God and look for God, stop. God is moving towards you. He is in front of you, facing you face to face, inviting you into relationship as you turn to him through repentance and accept this free gift through faith. He isn't making you chase him down and saying, hey, over here, come get this gift. If you try hard enough, you'll get it. Go to this part of the world, go do this. No, God isn't doing that. God has brought the gift to you and is bringing it to you, inviting you to accept it and enter into relationship with him. This changes how we interact with God and understand what he's doing in our lives. Because we're human beings, not human doings. This means, hear me church, that you don't have to create yourself. You don't have to strive uh, to make for yourself a future that you believe will satisfy you. You don't have to earn God's love and acceptance. You don't have to justify yourself and prove to the rest of the world that you're beautiful and that you're worthy of love and that that you're significant. You are significant. You are beautiful. God has loved you. He's bestowed grace upon grace over your life. So there's no longer any burden to achieve. It's all about receiving the life that he's made available for you. We don't have to create ourselves. We don't have to make something of ourselves. We don't have to, and and the two places that we do this is in our career and relationships. We try to create a future for ourselves and trying to climb this career ladder or entering into a place where we believe we'll make the most money so we can experience the highest quality of life. Or we try to find significance and worth in relationships, whether it's dating a specific type of person or idolizing a specific type of marriage or making sure our kids turn out the way we want them to so the world can look at us and say, man, that that person has really got it going on. And the gospel frees us from this. The gospel frees you from trying to find worth in living out the scripts that this world has to offer, and your worth and your identity and your life is found not in achieving, but receiving his worth, his identity, and his life. And that comes inside of you, and it liberates you. It sets you free, and there's this mysterious thing that happens where you come to this place where Paul says, I am what I am because of God's grace. And all that I longed for and all that I was craving was not found in feasting on the buffet of the world, but feasting on his presence and experiencing deeper relationship with God. For good works, Paul says in in Ephesians 2.10, I love the way the NLT says this, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And what's so amazing about this is that God has prepared for you a life of good works that's on the other side of faith. 
that God has prepared for you a life where, where you make a difference. Not so that you can earn salvation, but it is the fruit of being made new in Christ. It's not let me do these great things so that God can accept me. Rather, now that we're free in Christ, we're actually free to live the way God has intended us to live. See, we, still, we, we can think that, oh, let me do good things so that I can work my way to God and then he'll use me. But the good news of the kingdom of God is that God will use your addictions. God will use your brokenness. God will use your insecurity. God will use your doubts to make much of him. God will use your brokenness and completely turn it around so that you can be a pillar of faithfulness to another person that, ex- that is experiencing the same degree of brokenness. God can use your failed relationships and your failed attempts to become the best version of yourself so that the world can see that true life is found not in earning or achieving, it's found in receiving. God can use your life, the the bad things that uh, you believe define you and the good things that he's working out to make much of him. And God enables us, God sets us free to make a difference, to make much of him. You see, the gospel not only saves us and sort of carves out this seed in eternity, rather the gospel is for the present. The gospel is not just for the future. I'm saved and I'm a Christian and all of my sins have been dealt with. Rather, it's for the present, for every single area of life. God has set you free to go. God has set you free to bring the good news of Jesus into your classroom. As you begin to embody to these students a love and a grace and a kindness that is outside of this world and it begins to draw them to faith and stir their hearts to wonder, could there be a father? Could there be a God that loves me? The gospel sets you free so that you can go into your classrooms and not find your identity and can I get the highest grade and can I have the most friends? Rather, you're set free to just be present and make much of Jesus as you enjoy him and bring him into every area of life. The gospel sets you free so that you can carry this good, life-changing news into this world and so that the world can look in on you, in on us, and say, man, there truly is a better way to live. There truly is a way to live where I can find purpose in life and satisfaction and belonging, not in what I'm doing, but just being with God. So how do we grow in this? How do we grow into becoming all that God has called us to be? Church, we do what God has called us to do since the beginning. Be with him. Walk with him. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. What should you do? Walk with him. I love this picture because our salvation takes place in Christ Jesus and so does our spiritual growth in Christ Jesus. There is no other arena for spiritual growth except in Christ Jesus. And so in this arena, you become all that God has intended for you to become, not through running, not through striving, not through earning, but through walking. Walking with God. It's this picture of Jesus walking with his disciples. Hey, you come follow me. Me? All right, let's do it. 
And Jesus pulling people out of specific lifestyles and specific areas of life, whether it was a, a fisherman or a politician, whether it was a well-studied um, Jewish professor or an impoverished man on the outskirts of society, men, women, children, Jesus invites them to walk with him. And something life-changing happens when we walk with Jesus. We become more and more like him. You see, the purpose of walking with Jesus is that as we connect our life to his and walk with him in every single area of our life, we begin to look more and more like the person that we're walking with. And his presence and his spirit begins to come inside of us and take deeper and deeper roots into our heart to the point that we begin to experience more and more his power, his identity, his grace, his mercy, his love. And hear me, it's, it's not a run. Jesus hasn't invited you to a marathon And he hasn't invited you to a triathlon or a sprint. He's invited you to a walk. To walk with him. To match his pace. This slow pace of grace. Of slowly becoming all that he's called you to be. If you're frustrated with your progress, if you're frustrated with where you are, and you're saying, I've, I've been walking with Jesus and I see no victory in my life. I've been walking with Jesus and I'm just as insecure as ever. I've been walking with Jesus and nothing is happening. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus isn't letting go of your hand. And that despite these internal frustrations that we're experiencing, despite the lack of progress and these unmet expectations, Jesus completely transcends that and he's doing something in our lives that we have no category for. And he begins to walk with us and carry us. He, he has our hand and he's not letting go. And as we continue to walk with him, as we continue to remain and abide and stay with him slowly, begin to experience and see breakthrough. We begin to see more and more transformation. My son is not good at walking. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's the athletic type, but Elias, if you watch this in 20 years, uh, you can say, boom, what now, Dad? Uh, I made it to the Olympics. Uh, he's not, I don't think he's the athletic type because he, he just doesn't want to walk. He's pretty lazy about it. And so uh, on, on Friday, I, I, uh, uh, some of the ENC interns were here, and I would just grab him by his arms and just start running with him. And he would, like, actually match the pace. Uh, and, and it's this picture that, like, hey, even though my son really isn't walking, I'm still present in his life. Um, and, and, and sometimes I just have to really hold him to kind of help him get going. And it's the sort of same picture in the kingdom of God, is that you're not an orphan. You're a son and a, and a daughter. You, you actually live in God's house. You're part of his family. And this father isn't abandoning you uh, when your ex- expectations are unmet. He's not leaving you when you're frustrated with your progress. Rather, he's coming alongside of you and matching your pace with his pace. Yeah. Rearranging your expectations with what he wants to do in your life. And so this really brings good news. This brings freedom because there's, there's not really a pressure to get to the finish line. There's not a pressure to really uh, become this certain type of Christian or this certain type of person. The only thing that God has called you to do is walk with him. And as you begin to walk with him, you become more and more and more what he has intended you to be. As you begin to walk with him, he begins to whisper into your ear through relationship, here's what I want for you, here's what I want you to do. As you begin to walk with him, he begins to change your desires and to change your mind. As you begin to walk with him, you will look more and more like him. 
In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Before Jesus saved us, we were walking in all sorts of directions and all sorts of ways that were only leading to death, that were only leading to further bondage. He says, we're following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God came and delivered us from the power of sin so that no longer we have to follow the course of the world. We can follow and walk with Jesus. We're freed from the scripts of the world that they keep handing us to say, become this type of person and live this kind of way. And now we can live a life that is sustained by grace, not by efforts. We can live a life that is sustained by receiving his love, not earning his love. And why does this matter? Because the way to become more and more of your true self isn't found in setting yourself free isn't found in working harder. It's found in becoming more and more of his workmanship. This means submitting your life to the master architect, submitting your life to his blueprint and letting him build your life as you build your life around him and walk with him. Let's close in prayer before we transition to communion. Father, we praise you for this gift that you've given us. Lord, we praise you that this gift isn't achieved by striving. I praise you, Lord, that this gift isn't uh, earned. Rather, it's received. And maybe you're in this room and, and you've been uh, in a place where you're, you're, you're striving. You're looking for life. You're looking for identity. You're looking for joy. And you, you find yourself feasting on whatever this world has to offer and uh, reading the scripts uh, that this world is giving you, trying to become uh, the right type of person or have the right type of career, the right type of job. And you find yourself restless and empty. Jesus is meeting you right where you are. And he has a gift for you. And that is life in him. And he freely invites you to receive this gift and enter into relationship, not through working, not through earning, but through faith. Through saying, Jesus, I wholeheartedly trust you to rescue me from myself. I want to turn away from the life that I'm living and choose to follow you. If you want to receive this gift, uh, I want to I pray for you. And I just want to stand with you as you have this moment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you want to receive this gift, would you shoot up your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that your sons and daughters in this room would experience your presence. I pray that you would come and fill their hearts with the grace and love and mercy that you've poured out on the cross that is already available for them. Lord, I pray that you would come bring rest to their hearts as you solidify 
our worth, our value, our life, not in our works, but in your grace. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and fill your sons and daughters. And I pray that you would testify to this good news in their hearts all the days of their life, that they are what they are, not because of their achieving, but because they've received you. Lord, thank you for this gift of new life that is found exclusively solely in you. Maybe you're in this room and and you find yourself restless and, and, and tired, defeated, feeling like uh, you're feeling discouraged by the progress of your walk with Jesus. I believe what the Lord wants to do in this moment is just come refresh you in his presence and sort of rearrange a few expectations um, and come uh, remind you of his great love for you that is independent of your progress and solely dependent on his love for you on his grace for you that transcends what we're doing or not doing. So if you're in this room and you just feel discouraged by your walk and you just want to be refreshed in God's presence, I want to pray for you. Would you lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, you see these hands and you see these hearts. Father, I pray that you would come and do the good work of deconstructing any false beliefs or false ideas that we have about you that are keeping us from enjoying you. And I pray that you would come and rearrange our hearts, rearrange our minds uh, so that we can uh, experience and, and, and see more and more of your grace and your love at work in our life that is independent of our progress or our efforts, that is independent of where we are in life or where we want to be. Would you just come and remind us how loved we are, how cared for we are uh, by you? Would you, in this moment, drown us in your grace? Would you rearrange our expectations? Would you bring us back to that first love? Holy Spirit, would you refresh us in this place? Would you bring to memory any sin that maybe you're calling us to repent of? As your scriptures say, repent of our sins so that times of refreshing may come. And Lord, I thank you that repentance is a gift because we can turn to you and you receive us. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate any areas of our life that we need to turn away from so that we can turn towards you? Lord, I praise you for receiving us with grace and kindness praise you for the fact that you are doing something in here. I praise you, Lord, that we're leaving chains in this room today and we're walking out with a greater degree of freedom. Lord, I praise you that we're entering into a week with a a new sense of joy like we've never experienced before. Lord, I thank you that we're going into this week with a new sense of boldness and confidence like we've never experienced before. Lord, I thank you that you are 
setting us more and more free from ourselves as we embrace you more and more. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us to set our hearts towards a posture of receiving and not achieving so that we can become all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.